0: Good Morning Nancy is a horror movie podcast, so it may not be for all audiences. This episode contains discussions on loss and grief, mental illness and trauma, as well as abuse and abortion. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is Season 6, Episode 5, and we are so excited for you to join us.
1: Gracie and I have been friends since forever, and we love talking about our favorite horror movies together and with you. All while drinking a nice cup of coffee. Today we'll be discussing the 2018 supernatural horror drama, Hereditary. It was written and directed by Ari Aster, and it stars
0: Toni Collette, Alex Wolfe, Millie Shapiro, and Gabriel Byrne. We are not shy about spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause this episode and watch it. Are you still here? Okay, then let's get this morning started. While studying film at the American Film Institute, Ari Aster made two short films, The Strange Thing About the Johnsons and Munchausen. Both films caught the eyes of producers at the independent film company A24. Abby, have you seen those short films? Um, I have not. I've only seen, like, stills from them. Yeah, I I haven't seen them either. And I was wondering Mm. if you had. Hey, let us know if you guys have seen them. Yeah, I wonder if they're on YouTube. Hmm. You know, I should have checked. I know. Oh, well. You're going to learn about Hereditary today instead. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Ari Aster originally pitched Hereditary to A24 as a family tragedy before amending his script into a supernatural horror film. A fan of domestic dramas, Aster incorporated themes of the genre into his script, envisioning a film rooted in family dynamics, trauma, and, of course, grief. It's not hard to find all of the films that helped inspire Hereditary, either. And I personally see The Shining and Rosemary's Baby and The Babadook in Hereditary. But the original Carrie, Don't Look Now, and The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover were films that Astor specified as huge influences on Hereditary. Mm. Toni Collette was one of the first actresses Astor sought for the role of Annie Graham, a miniaturist and the matriarch of the Graham family. Though Colette was reluctant to work on the horror film, the script's grounded approach to the genre convinced her to commit to the project. She said, quote, He, Aster, just really understood the dynamics in the family. It has such an understanding of what it is to be human and what it is to experience loss, unquote. The film began shooting in February of 2017 in Utah, with the interior and exterior of the treehouse being filmed on a soundstage. So Hereditary premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 21, 2018 to rave reviews. And some members of the audience even claimed to feel sick after seeing it, which created a huge hype. Woof. I remember that. I remember hearing those early reviews of hereditary and people being like, ugh
1: freaking
0: out. Oh my god, I remember the coffee
1: break that we did about it. Yeah. And like wondering like if it was going to be all it was cracked up to be, and holy crap, it sure was. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, the film was released in the United States by A24 on June 8, 2018, to more great reviews amongst critics. General audiences, however, were severely divided. Many believed that the film wasn't scary at all, while others proclaimed it to be the scariest film they'd seen in years. That is quite a difference, if you ask me.
1: Yes, and everyone that I've spoken to about this film are the same exact way. They either, like, didn't have any kind of reaction
0: to it, or they were like, it's the most repulsive thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. there is, There truly is no middle ground. No. I have not heard one person say it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> So, either way, on a budget of only 10 million, the film earned 79.3 million worldwide. Oh my God. Making it a huge indie success and A24's most successful film to date. Holy crap. According to film critic and writer Lena Wilson from Bitch Media, she says, quote, Hereditary is a fable about generational silence in the face of mental illness, where the moral of the story is so dark and visceral that audiences feel compelled to look away,
1: Ooh.
0: <laughs> So with that said, Abby, would you please remind us all of the plot?
1: Yes, I will. Annie Graham is an artist living in Utah with her husband, Steve, teenage son, Peter, and eccentric daughter, Charlie. The film opens on the funeral of Annie's mother, Ellen, and we soon learn that she was a very cold and distant woman who kept her affairs private. While going through her mother's belongings, Annie finds a cryptic note from her mother telling her that, in the end, their sacrifice will be worth the reward. Life seems to unravel fast following the death of Ellen. In a strange and shocking accident, Charlie is beheaded while leaning out the window of the family car as Peter, driving, rushes her to the hospital to save her from an allergic reaction. Riddled with guilt and grief, Peter and Annie's relationship becomes tense and destructive. Eventually, Annie meets a sweet woman named Joan in her support group, who lost her son and grandson. Joan seemingly believes in spirits and shows Annie how to perform a seance to communicate with her dead daughter. Annie takes her newfound knowledge home and shows her family, but unknowingly conjures an ancient demon. Oh, no. It is revealed that Annie's mother and Joan are members of a coven that plan to conjure a demon named Paymon. Their mission? To find King Paymon a host body. Annie's family members were picked for the ritual, and Payman had already been living in Charlie but longed for the male body of Peter. At the end of the film, Annie finds her mother's decapitated body in her attic with symbols written on the wall in blood. Meanwhile, Peter begins to act strangely at home and at school, and Steve, caught in the middle of all the chaos, is burned alive as Annie tries to burn a sketchbook filled with the coven's secrets. Oh, no. Annie, either overcome by Payman or her own grief, decapitates herself with a piano wire. Peter, trying to escape the chaos, jumps out of a window. As Peter's lifeless body lays on the ground, the spirit of payment enters his body and he becomes Possessed. After seeing his mother's headless corpse float into the family treehouse, Peter follows it and finds himself surrounded by his grandmother and mother's headless bodies, his sister's head placed on a stick figure, and the naked members of his grandmother's coven, who worship and hail him as king.
0: Wow. Thank you, Abby, for that wonderful plot summary. It's a lot to take in, guys. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. Whew. Okay, so let's start with the Bechdel test. Yes, it passes. It passes a few times. Thank goodness. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see how it does with Nancy's Dream Team test. It's a little bit harder to pass. Was the supporting cast at least 50% women? Yes. Did a woman write, direct, or produce the film? No. Was the final girl or main character a person of color? No. Were there any openly LGBT plus characters in the film? No. Mm. So there's that. Let's get into the discussion. Oof. Which this, I mean, I always try to put a warning at the beginning of our episodes. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, and maybe it's just me, but Hereditary like affected me like at my core. Yes, 100%. And I know you agree. Oh, yeah. It is one of the strangest wildest horror films and to me really is pure true horror yes there yeah so there's very few films that reach that level and this is one of them maybe the only one so far for me
1: honestly this and
0: the exorcist really hit me at my core
1: yes it's the it's one of the only movies that i have sobbed watching.
0: Yeah. Like
1: Gracie will tell you when we went and saw this movie in theaters I just I was like holding my hand over my mouth crying because I was crying so hard. It was horrendous.
0: Yeah one of my uh a close loved one that I have um their PTSD like flared up and I just felt my heart break and my soul become crushed and It truly has not been the same since. I know. And I know I've said this before, but I remember literally every single scene in that film. Mm -hmm. It's like I just saw it yesterday. It's insane. It's It's one of those films that sticks with you.
1: It's so crazy that this came out a year ago. And like we're talking about it now. It it feels like last week we went and saw it together. So weird. it's so
0: weird. All right. So one of the topics that everyone talks about with hereditary is, of course, mental illness. Mm -hmm. So let's start there. Yeah. Emma Dibdin says in an Esquire article, the movie's extraordinarily
1: oppressive sense of dread is rooted in Annie's awareness of her family history. Uh, For example, psychotic depression in her father, dissociative identity disorder in her mother, schizophrenia in her brother, which leaves her feeling doomed. Despite the stable life she's built for herself, a successful artistic career, a supportive husband, and two children, a grand if creepy rural home, she can't shake the feeling that she's a time bomb. As she tells the attendees of her grief support group, I just sometimes feel like it's all ruined. And by the time the credits roll, two grueling hours later, she's been proved very, very correct.
0: Yeah, there are no. There honestly, there's no surprises in this film. No, yeah, uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's one large surprise. Yeah, but it's sort of played out for you from the very beginning. Yes, like you're given clues on what is going to happen to these people f- from the start. Yes, and that to me is so it reminisces in this whole thing about hereditary mm-hmm. there's no surprises like yeah. your mother has meant a mental illness eh, you're probably gonna have one too right and i think part of the horror in hereditary is the chance that your children will inherit any mental illness that's been passed in the family mm. and this horror is explored in other films as well like we talked about it in david cronenberg's remake of the fly episode which i'll put in the show notes um, Gina Davis has a terrifying dream about giving birth to like a crazy fly baby. Mm-hmm. She thinks it's going to be just like, you know, Jeff Goldblum's you know, he's going to look like a fly like him. A little maggot. A little <laughs> maggot baby. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's difficult to portray mental illness in films, mm. especially if the creator doesn't necessarily understand it themselves. And yeah. I think it's even more of a risk when you portray mental illness in horror films because they lean into more of, like, the pulp side of society's fears of mental illness. Yes, yes. And, you know, I think Daniel Carpenter said it really well when he said, quote, "...using the lens of horror to interrogate our own internal fears about the things we may have inherited that we have no control over, these manage to needle their way under our skin in ways that many other films fail to." Mm. Unquote. Mm -hmm. So, so there's the horror that your children will be afflicted by mental illness, but there's also like this reversal in this, in this story too. Like there's the child that lives with the parent who experiences the mental illness. The, from that same article by Emma Dibden, she actually quotes the film first and she says, when her life was unpolluted, she could be the most loving person in the world. And then says, quote, Tony Collette's Annie delivers this line early in the nerve-shredding new horror film, Hereditary, during an uneasy eulogy for her troubled and secretive mother. It's a very specific turn of phrase and speaks to a kind of fear familiar to anyone with mental illness in their blood. The fear that your life is polluted, right? So Mm. that your reality is unreliable and that your mind will one day turn on you. So yeah. everybody in this film is dealing with this fear of not being in control of their destiny. Yeah, it's so true. Literally everyone—Peter, Annie, Ellen—everybody is. So, yeah. well, one of the
1: things that I definitely love about Ari Aster and like the way that he writes is that, like, when Tony Collette says that during the eulogy of her mother, you get that like creepy crawly feeling when someone you. It's like when someone you don't know starts like pouring out their like family history and like their like troubled past to you and you just don't know how to handle it. You're just right. sitting there like, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh. You're like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. But, you know, we also know that mental illness can play a huge role in the way we develop and how we grow in relationships in the in the real world. Right. Like it's super common for mental illness to creep its way into our adult life after experiencing traumas that are handed down to us from our parents. But I'm going to talk more about that later. Yes, that's
0: that's actually a great part of the show. Yeah. Um, so I actually want to add um, Mark Rowland wrote for the UK's Mental Health Foundation. And he said, quote, we need to cultivate a culture where it's OK to not be OK. Mm hmm. And I mean, even in the film, Annie feels the need to lie to her husband about going to a grief support group. And she wants him, I think, to think that everything is fine. And maybe she also wants to fool herself into thinking that. And, you know, I think horror movies like Hereditary can really help those of us who are going through some sort of sadness or mental health struggles And to see that this is a real fear and to have it be validated in the media, I think, is more important than people realize. Mm -hmm. And some people might not agree with me and feel that the very realistic aspects of mental illness shown in this film might be triggering, which, you know, I completely understand. But there is something about, you know, people kind of feel alone, I think, in their mental illness. Like when I was diagnosed with depression, I could not even believe that that would happen to me. Yeah, I was like, "There's no way. Like, there's there's no way that I that I'm like this. Like, I can fight it." And I kind of had to come to terms with you know having to take medication and to be okay with myself. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is that I found out that someone close to me in my family, multiple people in my family, also had depression. Wow, and. That actually made me feel a little less alone because I knew, okay, well, this is in my family. It's not my fault. Right. Yeah. And I think that it's what's really interesting is that hereditary kind of almost does the opposite, though, is that you find out (laughs) that everyone is sick and it's almost like a blame game. Right. Rather than an acceptance and Mm -hmm. a sense of like community or something or like a family thing. Instead, it's everyone's very resentful for everyone's sickness. Yes.
1: Yeah. And it's it's actually really funny that we I literally just got done saying like, oh, it feels like super uncomfortable, like when somebody spills out their whole entire like life story to you and you don't know how to react. But I think that if we were to see more films like this, and people could relate to them a little bit more, it wouldn't be so uncomfortable when we're faced with circumstances like that. When people feel like they can tell you something, you kind of learn how to handle it because it becomes normalized. And you can, in turn, help that person or at least guide them to help. Because that's, I think that's a huge part of why this film is so scary. It's like... If you were faced with this family in real life, like you would not even know what to do. You would just be like, "Oh my god." Yeah. What even? <laughs> Here is a number for a therapist. Please
0: go, please. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's rough. Yeah, and any of our listeners out there who have, like, their two cents that they would like to share, like, please let us know. Like, I would love to hear what you have to say about the mental health aspect of hereditary. So, yeah, just let us know. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Satanism, paymentism, really, is what it is, yeah. and the occult <laughs> in hereditary.
1: Ooh. So, according to an article by Tony Sokol, which I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, from Den of Geek, Quote, King Paimon is one of Lucifer's most obedient devotees, rules 200 legions of angels, is connected to the Tree of Death, and first appeared in an anonymously written grimoire from the mid-1600s called Lesser Key of Solomon. Also known as Clavicula Solomonis Regis, hmm. whoo, buddy. I agree with David Crow, who says in his piece about the hereditary ending, it all sounds like Latin. Yep. Other <laughs> yes. Other outlets covering the film also put out backgrounders, which all sound like pig Latin. So I transcribed the Aleister Crowley translation into semaphore and asked an expert. Once of the order of dominations, King Paimon is the ninth spirit listed in Alistair Crowley's The Goetia, The Lesser Key of Solomon. Paimon can teach all arts and sciences and other secret things. He can discover unto thee what the earth is and what holdeth it upon the waters and what the mind is and where it is or any other thing thou mayest desire to know. He giveth dignity and confirmeth the same. He bindeth or maketh any man subject unto the magician if he so desire it. He giveth good familiars, and such as can teach all arts.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: I know. So the summoning of payment in this circumstance could symbolize the way that, you know, previous generations have sacrificed the well-being of their children and grandchildren for what they want in the short term. Or it could be the sense of longing for forgiveness for their wrongdoings in the past. Like, maybe if I do this now, it'll spare me from the actions of my consequences later. Like, that kind of thing. And I feel like this is a real fear that's scattered among the generations of living people now. Especially since in our country, people our age are worrying about what's going to happen with, like, the economy and the earth as we're older. So this to me, was, like, a really interesting take on, like, what the previous generations have done to us, I guess, yeah. basically. It, and it's it's terrifying because it's so, like we said in the beginning, it's so visceral and it's, like,
0: tangible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the devil isn't scary anymore. No. No, no, no. Because we know about the devil. Mm-hmm. We know what he looks like, Maybe. There's all these different, rep, you know, representations of what he looks like. Yeah. We know what he does. We know his we know his jam. We know where he's going. <laughs> I know your tricks, Satan. <laughs> but we don't really know all of these little lesser guys who yeah. don't seem so lesser because we are unaware of them. We right. don't know what they're up to. Yeah. We don't know. I I didn't even know payment was a real thing until after I thought I was like, wow, he made that up and then I looked it up and I was like, Guess not. It made it scarier. (laughs) It's true. So there is something, like, I'm just really glad that he decided to use horror just in general and this idea of payment and the occult in this film about a family's drama. Because, like, to me, it just heightens the tragedies that occur for the better of the story, honestly. And Like, I'm also happy with how the film is not completely saturated in Paymanism and the occult, too. Yes, yes. Like, there's this really great balance that works really well here. And Alexandria Houck says about hereditary quote rather than exclusive ghostly or supernatural monsters folk horrors chief resources of terror are often earthly humans who force the horrified protagonists to confront rethink or overhaul their rigid beliefs in favor of knowledge at odds with their own while the films focus on demonic possession and the occult suggests the protagonists downward spiral into the realm of the supernatural and thus a way from the earthly concerns of the common folk, the themes of motherhood, familial crisis, mental illness, parental guilt, and generational hereditary bring some of the fundamental challenges of the human condition back to the fore. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like if it had been the devil, then the drama going on with the family would have not been as interesting. Yes. The fact that it's this scary, unknown lesser demon... Brings out so much more terror mm-hmm. in the normal drama that's happening between them. Yes. Well, we talked about
1: um, in our episode for the witch how, like, it could it it could be a possibility that all of it was imagined or that they were
0: right. on drugs because or something. The corn was the whatever one. The cor- mold, yeah. yeah. When mold it was the mold. When when corn goes bad, the mold <laughs> is like a hallucinogen. Yes.
1: So with this film, it's almost like, okay, is this really happening? Like, are we really faced with demons here? Or is it because of untreated mental illness? That's why it's so scary. It really, honestly, the demons take it or leave it. (laughs) Like, that's not the frightening part of this movie. And that's why it's so
0: goddamn brilliant. Right. And I think that if you are going to do like a horror kind of aspect, like a supernatural aspect to it, like have it be something that we don't know yes. what it is. Yes. So, yeah, I think it works really well in this. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about grief and hereditary. This might be a little tough for some of our listeners, just so you guys know. Yeah. Um. But according to an article I found at HorrorHomeroom.com, And I just want to say Horror Homeroom is a great resource for academic horror stuff. Like, they also have a great podcast you guys should check out. I'll link it in the show notes. But um, Horror Homeroom had a great article called, Have Recent Horror Films Accurately Captured Grief? And the author of that article states, quote, Horror has, for decades, meticulously dissected psychological and social issues. Grief is no exception to the list of psychosocial mysteries that are widely experienced yet universally misunderstood, And I would absolutely agree with that. And I would argue that compared with most horror films, including The Babadook, Hereditary probably shows the best example of grief. Mm-hmm. And I agree with this quote by Stephen Shield, who says, quote, a horror for me has been a way to explore the deep and fundamental scars left by the violence of death and all death, whether sudden or expected, is violent, at least from the point of view of those left behind. It's an instant, irrevocable amputation why should cinema flinch from examining that unquote
1: Mm, yeah
0: and you know when we talked about the babadook way back in season two or three i can't even remember but when we talked about the grief and sadness in that film we discussed how the ending was sort of cathartic like amelia who's the main character in that was able to recognize her grief and rebuild her relationship with her young son and the terrible and hurtful things that she had done to him and said, I, I feel like the dog's death is used as a metaphor for this, are buried in the garden. And the Babadook itself is in the basement of her home slash mind where she feels it and feeds it, but she never fully lets it take over her and take control of her again. Mm-hmm. Hereditary doesn't show this side of the grieving process, though. Yeah. In fact, it gives you the idea that there's literally no end in sight to your despair, and there's no healing, no hope, no basement to hide the Babadook.
1: Yeah, it's rough. Mm -hmm. And in a section of Jess Joho's article for Mashup, she says, In the Year of Magical Thinking... Famed writer Joan Didion recounts her mental state while grieving her husband. Um, Magical thinking is a term psychologists use to describe the irrationality of the mind in the throes of bereavement, but Didion takes a step further. She describes grief as quite literally a period of temporary mental illness or insanity. Your rational brain knows it's ridiculous to keep your dead husband's shoes, but you are also absolutely certain that he will come back, that what happened is reversible. Grief plays cruel tricks that only you can see. You start to see signs, cryptic messages only you could possibly interpret as significant. If you told anyone about these, they'd call you crazy. Hell, you're pretty sure you're crazy. That's what makes the descent of the Graham family so eerily recognizable. Sure, the signs like a lingering shot on Apartment 202 eventually lead to a real conspiracy and demon, but that bloodbath is arguably true to life as well. The turn away from reality in the movie is in itself an allegory. So I have absolutely been on this end of the spectrum before, and I can tell you from experience that grief brain is 100% real. Hmm. And what is so frightening about it is the feeling that you're walking around and like you're seeing and you're hearing all of these things and you kind of can't tell what's real and what isn't. Grief literally changes the structure of your brain and it's almost as if all of your coping mechanisms for like small everyday things that go wrong, like all of that just goes right out the window. Like it it becomes impossible to focus on the task at hand. Your mind literally unravels
0: yeah and that actually is displayed in hereditary um first i feel like when annie sees her mother's spirit (gasps) in her house yep because it's like is her spirit really there is she does she have grief brain is she imagining it Mm -hmm. and i think peter sees charlie at some point right with the ball and the ball falls and it's her head Yeah, and it's all like is this real is it in their heads like what's going on and Another thing, going back to Joan Didion and she's the talking about like the husband's shoes, Annie tries to burn the sketchbook. Yeah. And no matter how hard she tries, she can't do it. And she even tries to get her husband Steve to help her and he refuses. And truly, I believe the sketchbook becomes symbolic of a possession left behind by someone who has passed on. Yeah. Something real and physical that neither Annie or Steve can destroy in order to move on. Ooh, it yeah. affects Steve so much that he bursts into flames. And I mean, thats I think that's the metaphor, is that maybe Steve, who has been sort of like placid, I guess, maybe, but he's sort of dealing with grief in his own way, but he never really shows it. He yeah. kind of hides it to the point where he basically combusts. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting yeah. because he's a psychiatrist. It's a lot to think about. It is a lot to think about. Good
1: Morning Nancy is proudly sponsored by Recess Coffee.
0: We wouldn't be able to create such great content without being fueled by their magical beans. And the great part is, is that each batch of coffee is locally artisanally roasted and it comes from fair trade farmers. Gracie, what's your favorite blend? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so my favorite blend is the Westcott blend. It has African and Indonesian beans mixed to create a clean, rich, and full-bodied cup of coffee. Mm. It has a rich floral vanilla aroma with a sugared almond flavor and a lemon finish. Yum.
1: Oh, delicious. My favorite is the Austin's blend. It's a unique blend of African, Indonesian, and Central American beans roasted to create a characteristically rich, dark, and smoky cup. It has a bold roasted nut aroma with chocolate flavors and a smooth, fruity finish. The coffee is seriously so good. I don't even have to put any cream
0: or sugar in it. I just drink it black like my soul. (laughs) So guys, head on over to RecessCoffee.com to order yours today.
1: Or if you're a Syracuse local, stop by either shop at 110 Harvard Place or 110 Montgomery
0: Street. So So drink drink coffee, coffee, shoot shoot lightning. lightning. Now back to the show. So this is sort of in the same, like, realm, but let's talk about, like, trauma, curses, and the film Hereditary. So we've discussed grief and mental illness, right, but we haven't really quite discussed the effect of trauma on a family as a whole. And according to A.A. Dowd, quote, You could say that misfortune runs in the Graham family. In fact, it seems to get passed from generation to generation like a curse, Early into the film, Annie attends a support group for the bereaved, and an awful personal history comes pouring out of her through a monologue that relays the shattering losses she's endured since childhood. It's a supremely effective gauntlet of supernatural horror that's also At Blackened Heart, a grueling domestic drama about how trauma, resentment, and guilt can seep into the roots of a family tree, rotting it from the inside out. Ooh, yikes. Uh, Jess Joho
1: also wrote in that article that I'd previously mentioned for Mashable, Um, It's called Everything that Eerie Hereditary Gets Right About Grief, and it's linked in the show notes as well. It's really good. But in it, she says, ultimately, the movie reveals that Grandma Ellen wasn't just a withholding mother. She was a witch or demon worshiper, passing down this demon from generation to generation. While this appears to come out of left field, it's also a concept based in reality and science. Mm. My favorite. (laughs) Transgenerational trauma has been observed in many families who suffer through events that cause serious PTSD side effects. NPR recently released a story on how this is particularly true of families born into cultures that have survived near erasure and colonialism. And we're not just talking about psychological repercussions. Inherited trauma is believed to be transferred through our very DNA. What does that sound like? Epigenetics. (laughs) Annie's family clearly has a history of not only trauma, but also hereditary mental illness. The demon the family keeps passing on can be seen as the unaddressed traumas of death and disease that they keep trying to bury, but ultimately... It only destroys the kids, leaving them unprepared for what comes for them.
0: And not just like Peter and Charlie, but the kids go back to Annie and yes. her brother, and then maybe Ellen, and then so so on and so forth well
1: and joan and her son and grandson so yeah so in that previously mentioned esquire article by emma Dibden, she talks more on familial mental illness and says by the film's midpoint it's clear that more than inherited mental illness is haunting the graham family unless you choose to interpret everything that's happening as an extended case of folia do where delusions are transmitted within a family But even if you don't, Demonic Possession, which takes center stage in the final act, has a long history as both a metaphor and coded explanation for mental illness. Even Hereditary's gore is psychological. Mm. Several characters die by having their heads separated from their bodies. Yes, The most physical possible representation of a severance between mental state and physical reality.
0: I love this film.
1: (laughs) Yes. So in the grand tradition of using a classroom scene to telegraph your movie's core question, Aster at one point has Peter and his peers discussing Sophocles and the question of whether a tragic hero ever had a choice or was his fate determined for him. Mm. The class is divided and Peter, who is at this stage, a pretty regular teenager, is disengaged. But the question echoes throughout the movie. The most viscerally terrifying idea in Hereditary is that no matter what you do or how far you seem to have come, your genetics actually do control your fate.
0: Oh, and that's scary. Yeah, you've lost control. You know, and I just want to add to this discussion with a quote from film critic Matt Zoller-Seitz, who I've quoted before in other episodes. Uh, He said about this film, quote, Every time they, the Graham family, experience a new trauma, it cracks their controlling facades a bit more. exposes emotional fissures in the family as a whole and makes you wonder if perhaps the social institutions surrounding us and the intricate practices of language, science, and literature aren't just elaborate means of holding back fear of death and random misfortune. Ooh! Ooh, uh, weird. Yeah. Uh, So, you guys, uh, let us know what you think. uh, Yeah, please do. Let's get into our final thought. So, mommy horror and the women in Hereditary. Ooh. I just gotta say, I don't know if I quite like the term mommy horror. I don't either. It sounds demeaning. Yeah, I think it's meant to be demeaning um, because I think this term, I don't know when it actually came out, but um, I've been hearing it a lot more like since, uh, I think it's called Bird Box, right? That film that came oh, out on Netflix. Oh, God, yeah. Bird Box came out. Um, a uh, Quiet Place. Yeah, a Quiet Place. Like all these films where these mothers are going through these horrific things with their children and... I don't know. It, it sounds like someone's making fun of it. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Like, it's not as serious, serious. I guess, in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah, I don't like that term. No, I don't either. Yeah. It Like, I like, I think we've used this term before, but domestic horror. For Mommy sure. Mommy horror, yeah, sounds demeaning. Ugh. But there is, there is a mother, a few mothers in this film, mm-hmm. and it's important to talk about because I think it has a really major. <laughs> major uh, weight to to the story. Yeah. So to start, I want to share a quote from Brett Riley, who says, quote, in Hereditary's world, fathers and brothers die, but mothers cannot be trusted. In terms of Hereditary's representations of gender and family, men don't last. (laughs) Annie's father died when she was young, while her cold, distant, haughty mother... drove her teenage brother to suicide by quote-unquote putting people inside him, and Annie's friend Joan claims to have lost both her son and grandson via drowning. Hmm. So there's that. Um, Let's also just talk a little bit more about the role of women in general in this film. There is an undeniable sense of enclosure in the film, and according to Anthony Lane, Quote, this sense of enclosure, we come to realize, is a female preserve. Annie's husband, Steve, may have troubles, too, but in his case, the movie chooses not to pry. Um, but Peter and his schoolmates observe their own customs, and they do so gregariously, ganging together to smoke a bowl. And But Charlie and Annie, on the other hand, we learn perhaps more than we would wish. yeah. So the things that we find out about the two of them are dark and disturbing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting to note that the movie is kind of about Peter all along. Yeah. And we might believe that it's about Charlie and Annie like from there's one poster of Charlie and Annie um and then there's like the house that, you know. Yep. Um they all kind of feature at least Annie or at least Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um But in the end, it's about the infernal operations of the patriarchy. (laughs) And I honestly, I think it's no coincidence that Ari wrote that King Paimon needs to inhabit a male human because it might be, I don't know, easier for him to lead these people. And honestly, this could be a commentary on sexism. You're right. And according to Alexandria Houck, the demon's success in inhabiting Peter's body in the end is conditional on Ellen's, Annie's, and Charlie's deaths, i.e. on the elimination of the matriarchal line. That's so weird. Yes. So all of these women are beheaded. They've literally lost their heads to their madness so that the man can become the leader. Oh. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I did not even think about it that way. Yeah. So uh,
0: there's that. <laughs> now let's kind of touch on this idea of this film being a mommy horror film. <laughs> I want to <laughs> quote Catherine Fusco uh, from her article entitled Hereditary and the Monstrousness of Creative Moms. This is such an amazing article. Oh my God. She says quote, The audience learns early on that Annie is an artist who works from home making elaborate miniatures. Of Hereditary's many horrors, it's something minor that touched me most acutely. The persistence, the persistent interruption of Annie's work by her family. Relatives, both living and dead, feel free to pop into her studio and disrupt her whenever they like. Yeah. To ask for her car keys, to announce dinner, to leave nasty notes. It's not clear whether the film finds these mundane disturbances as egregious as the demonic ones, but I did. <laughs> you yes. reminded me that for <laughs> women who want to create a room of one's own is often not quite enough. The myriad interruptions imply that there is a world outside of the studio and outside of herself to which Annie should be attending, an idea that's all too common in literature and pop culture about creative moms. And by linking Annie's craft directly to the eventual dissolution of her family, hereditary suggests that art is something better set aside when the baby comes. Wow. Wow. Yes. And uh, she goes on to say, quote, one could argue that Instagram and Pinterest (laughs) are full of evidence that I'm wrong about the judgments people cast on artistic moms. But much of what we see on Pinterest is the kind of domestically oriented, creatively featured in A Quiet Place, like you mentioned Uh earlier, Abby. Yeah. A Quiet Place's homesteader's fantasy in which Emily Blunt's character Evelyn pours her energy into making her family's farmhouse bunker a beautiful place to raise her children. Meanwhile, movies like Hereditary see something threatening about the artist's mother, who is too individualistic and too rigidly professional, who creates for herself and the public while closing out her family, unquote.
1: Uh, It reminds me of that one scene where Gabriel Byrne walks in and she's making like the scene of Charlie's death. And he's like, Jesus, what's Peter going to think about this? And she was like, what? It's an outsider's perspective. <laughs>
0: And you're like, wow. (laughs) Well, and you know what's really, I'm glad you brought up that scene because I was actually thinking about this scene earlier today and I was like, wow. So she grieves this way. Yep. Peter grieves another way. Mm -hmm. Steve grieves another way. They all grieve differently and never together. Yes. Instead, when they're together, they just fight. Or yes. they don't say anything to each other. Mm-hmm. And they never take a moment to be together and to be happy together. Right. It's sadness every time they're together. Yeah. I know. Ugh. So it's, oh, oh. Yeah. And you know, um, Ari Aster even said in an interview with the Huffington Post that, quote, Annie is somebody who's very much out of control. Out of control in her own life. And I think over the course of the film, it's revealed just how out of control she is. This is her way of seizing some semblance of control over her surroundings by basically replicating them and manipulating them. Yes! And really what's happening to her is she is like a doll in a doll house. And so is her family being manipulated by these outside forces. Mm. It's her way of working through something. Maybe it's not the most healthy way or the most thoughtful way. And it's probably akin to what I am doing here, unquote. Yeah, I love that quote by him. Yeah. Honestly, I love how Hereditary just doesn't shy away from revealing how Annie just might regret becoming a mother in the first place, too. You know, it's true. Like, she blurts out to Peter that she didn't want to have him and she tried to have a miscarriage, which is a shockingly sad scene. Yes. But... Again, the movie doesn't shy away from it. It doesn't sugarcoat it, and I think this scene is a is a dream either way. But it shows one of the deepest fears lurking in Annie's subconscious, the like the fact that she was maybe never ready to become a mother, but also like what if her kids find out that she never wanted them?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Which is also like a huge fear.
1: Well, and it's that other thing too about like women feeling guilty about not having the choice or like having bodily autonomy kind of because it sounds
0: like yeah. her mother forced her she, to have children she did she pressured her into having children after her her brother died and like in the
1: miniature like displays and stuff like that there's a scene where Annie is in bed with it looks like Charlie and she's breastfeeding her and her yes. mother is exposing like one of her breasts like she's also like helping her nurse and it's so that... I know I don't know does that work? is that a thing I don't well I know that you can like some women will like lactate and stuff like yeah. that uh-huh. I don't
0: know if when you... you're that old
1: no it can't maybe so. you can
0: I don't know I don't know. I've never thought about it. You know, that scene, I think I I was like, I'm in for something. when (laughs) I saw that. Yeah, because it's towards the beginning, right? Yes. I think it's like right after her mother
1: dies or right after the funeral, something like that. And it shows it. And I was like,
0: "Ooh,
1: this is how frightening Ellen was when she was alive. Like, can you imagine if your mother was like-
0: (laughs) let me breastfeed your baby for Absolutely you? Absolutely
1: not. Because it's such, a, it's such a crucial process also yes. when you are a new mother that, and, and it's not necessarily something that has to happen in order to form a bond with your infant. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Everybody is different. But for a lot of people, that is how they first bond with their baby. And that's like the foundation of everything. So like from the start, Annie never had control over anything having to do with her children.
0: yeah.
1: And it's so sad and
0: terrifying. I wonder if she was given more control over her own children that she would not have been so regretful. But yeah, probably not. Because I wonder if she feels like they're not really hers. Well, technically, they're
1: really, like, te- technically, biologically, they are, but in the grand scheme of things, they're they not. never they belong, were. They
0: belong to payment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <gasps> Ooh, oh, no. Oh. I don't want to be a mom. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's too scary. I know.
0: Oh, It's my wonderful,
1: gosh. but it's also <laughs> terrifying, so.
0: Yeah. Oh. All right. Well that's it for this week's episode of good morning nancy you guys don't forget to check out our merch shop we've got coffee mugs and sweatshirts and t-shirts and baby clothes for all you moms out there yes <laughs> and so much more head on over to www.goodmorningnancy.com slash merch and click the shirt icon and I will take you right to our shop and if you're not already a patron, go to patreon.com goodmorningnancy for some sweet extra content in your coffee. We review horror trailers, TV shows, and new movies over there sometimes. So become a patron, won't you?
1: yes and you're gonna also help support the show by following us on social media facebook at good morning nancy twitter at good morning nan and instagram at good morning nancy podcast you can also help us out by telling a friend and spreading the word about
0: our show we love you all to death have a good morning bye